0: Let me ask you to turn in your Bibles to Malachi chapter 4 as we uh, finish out our study of this book, and uh, we will begin uh, an Advent series uh, next Sunday, and I hope that uh, by the end of today you will see how, how these two uh, tie together. Uh, let's stand for the reading of God's Word. to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, but I come and strike the land, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be. be. Let's bow together. Lord we, we acknowledge that you're the author of these words. your Holy Spirit-inspired. You preserve these for your church down through these centuries, and that includes us today. And so we would pray that you would teach us from these words, that you would give us open hearts to you, ears to hear, and that your Spirit would apply these words to us, and we pray this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Be seated. Well, what a way to end this passage. What a way to end this book and What a way to end the Old Testament with a curse, the threat of a curse, and of judgment. What's the deal? How could that be? Why would he do that? Well, today we're going to look at just the last three verses because we have studied right up until those. And we're, we're going to, to see uh, several aspects here. We are going to see uh, the law, the prophets and their message, and the future message of the prophet, and then the hope of the gospel. So let's take a look. First of all, we see him giving a reminder of the law. Look at verse 4. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb. Now, Horeb is another name for Mount Sinai. A lot of times we think of the law being given at Mount Sinai. That's accurate, but you can also say at Horeb, which is how he's identifying it. They would have fully understood that. So uh, the statutes, the rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. So why would he go there at this point? With Jesus the dawn coming, why would he not go to grace rather than the law? And yet that's where he goes. Why remember the law the the statutes, the rules. Well, let's talk about the law. Let's see if uh, we can understand why he would, he would do that and remind them to remember uh, the law. John Calvin taught, as did uh, other reformers, that there were three uses of the law, three purposes for the law. Some do them in different orders, but uh, I'll give them to you, and I'm not necessarily going to give the, uh, the, the title or the byword that is often used, but I w- I'm going to describe those three uses or purposes for the law. The first one was to reveal the character of God. So the law reveals God's perfect holiness, his perfection, And in doing so, what it does is it provides a perspective for us of our imperfection and our lack of holiness. The reformers saw that as essential because it's in that sense that the law drives us to Christ and leads us to the glorious gospel, understanding that We cannot fulfill the law. We cannot keep this law that he has given to us. And so we see our absolute need to be in relationship with the only one who has ever perfectly kept the law, and that's Jesus. So there we see. Now, it is often called a mirror for us. It reflects the perfection of God and it reflects our own imperfection. Now, I don't know about you, but when I hear about a mirror and, and that, uh, well, let me describe what I experienced this morning. Okay, so I got up, I went into the bathroom, it, it's dark outside, I flipped on the light, and it's like, oh, <laughs> looking into the mirror. And, uh, you know, and it's even worse now. I'm on a CPAP machine, so I got lines all over my face and uh, hoping that they go away before I see people and that kind of thing. My hair is messed up, and uh, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking I, I should express sympathy to that man in the mirror there. Like, what happened to you last night? Did someone... <laughs> Did someone come in and beat you up or something? So I see that, well, I see it every morning, so I guess, I guess I'm kind of used to it. But here's something that I have never done. I have never seen that and said, well, that's not accurate. <laughs> I mean, that, that can't be what I look like. I know it's, it's, you know, uh, for better or worse, it's a perfect representation of what I look like at that moment. And that's why it's, it's so good to think of the law in terms of a mirror. So <clears throat> we see the law and we see God's perfection, his holiness, perfectly reflected but then as we look at ourselves in light of the law, we see our own imperfections. And we see, ultimately, our need for him. So the, the first use of the law is to reveal the character of God. The second use of the law was to restrain sin. Now, some have called that the, the civil use of the law, uh, to restrain evil uh, to some degree. And most civilized societies, you can see some reflection of the law of God uh, reflected in their laws. And that brings some restraint. The idea is a restraint uh, for the the evil ones against the righteous. And so in that sense, it's a, it's a good thing as well, uh, it protects the, the righteous from the unjust. and it allows to some measure, just a glimpse, but to some measure, uh, justice here in this earth until the last judgment is realized. So you first have, uh, the first use is to reveal the character of God. The second is, Uh, to restrain sin. The third use of the law is so believers can know how to live a life that is pleasing to God. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 13, it says, For you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity uh, for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So no one's ever saved by keeping the law. But for those who are trusting in Christ alone, the one who kept the law, those who are are trusting in him alone, those who are in relationship with him, that's where the law comes in to tell us how we are to live a life that is pleasing to him, that brings him glory, and he, and, and also happiness as well. Uh, that indicates that in the Old Testament. So we see uh, Malachi emphasizing to them the, the beauty of the law. Remember this law. And for we who are believers... We should love the law. You know, some, sometimes people will say, well, we're in the New Testament days. We're not under the law and so on. Well, but the law is there for our benefit and, and so that we know how uh, we can live. In fact, the Reformers said that for the believers, for those who are already believers, that's the highest use of the law at this point. And that is so we know how we are uh, to live. So you can see why Malachi would remind them ultimately, uh, the law shows our need for grace. Jerry Bridges wrote uh, one of my all time favorite books, uh, The Discipline of Grace, and I've read it a number of times through the years. He explains in that book why he wrote uh, that book. Some of you may uh, uh, know him from reading Transforming Grace which is an amazing book about grace, and it, it can be life-changing. He also wrote The Pursuit of Holiness. And so he would get from time to time when he would go out speaking, he'd get questions like, okay, well, you know, The Pursuit of Holiness talks about, you know, our disciplines and, and so on, and, and then here's all this grace over here. How do those two fit together? And he, he uh, would do a talk that he called The Chapter I Wish I Had Written, and that ultimately ended up being uh, the book, uh, The Discipline of Grace. And in that, he uses this, this illustration. He said, suppose that you are, are flying, you're, you're up at uh, 35,000 feet, and the pilot comes on and, and greets you and says, uh, okay, I'm afraid I have some bad news. Uh, we're going to lose one of our wings here in a few minutes. This isn't a true story, by the way. It's just an illustration. So he says, we're going to lose one of our wings in a few minutes. Um, I'd like to know which wing would you like to lose? And, you know, of course, the point is we, we can't. We can't lose either wing or, you know, we're, we're done for. And so he's got a picture illustration in the book, um, where you're kind of looking down on what looks like a jet airliner, and on one of the wings it says dependence, and on the other it says discipline. And the, eye of de- the, the idea of dependence is His grace, depending utterly upon God. And the other wing, though, is our discipline and our obedience, and so on. And, and the point being that both, like two wings on a plane, both are absolutely necessary in the pursuit of holiness. John Newton said it this way, the correct understanding of a harmony between law and grace is to preserve oneself from being entangled by errors on the right hand and on the left. So what he's saying is if you emphasize the law too much without grace, you're, you're going you're to go off the deep end on this end, but you can have the same problem emphasizing grace over here and forgetting the, the beauty of the law and that it's there for us as God has instructed us. It's, it's not either or, it is both and. So that leads us to the thing Malachi emphasizes next, and that is the hope for the future. Look at verse 5. Behold, I'll send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. Now, before we figure out who he's talking about here, this is prophesying, uh, I want you to think with me just for a moment about where we do see Elijah in the New Testament. There's one place that we literally, uh, he has seen and that is at the Transfiguration. That's recorded in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. It is, it is in, in many ways a turning point in Jesus' ministry as he heads toward the cross. It, it is a, it's a huge event. What happened there was that uh, Jesus took three of his uh, disciples, Peter, James, and John, with him uh, to witness it, And then he went up on uh, a mount, a mountain, and he was transfigured. We don't know exactly what that means, but there was something very, very different uh, about him. And he literally was meeting with Moses and Elijah. Why Moses and why Elijah? Moses is representing the Old Testament law, and Elijah represents all of the the prophets and the messages of the prophets. So that's what we see there is Jesus is meeting with with the one representing the law that he fulfilled and he's, he's meeting on the other hand with Elijah representing Jesus fulfilling those promises of the coming of the Messiah. Now, I told you, that's an essential, a a greatly important uh, event in the New Testament. But that's not what Malachi was talking about. So what was he talking about? Well, over in Luke chapter 1, verse 17, and we'll get into these when we get into our Advent series And he's speaking to uh, Zechariah and speaking to Zechariah about the, the child John that his wife Elizabeth would bear. It says this, And he'll go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, right out of Malachi, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Then we see Jesus himself identifying John in this way. Matthew 11, verse 12. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you're willing to accept it, he is Elijah who who is to come. And then one more over in Matthew 17, verse 10. The disciples asked him, Why do the scribes say the first Elijah must come? Where's that said? Well, it's said in Malachi. He answered, Elijah does come, and he will restore all things. But I tell you that Elijah has already come, and they did not recognize him, but did to him whatever they pleased. So also the Son of Man will certainly suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood, they got it, they understood that he was speaking to them of John the Baptist. So Jesus identifies this Elijah, the fulfillment of uh, this portion of Malachi is fulfilled in John the Baptist. But John the Baptist, like all of the other prophets, refused to point at himself or they wouldn't point to themselves, they were pointing to the Messiah that was coming. They were pointing to Jesus. Now look, look at what comes next, and we see the results of the gospel, verse 6. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. So of all the things that the gospel does or can do, why would he choose to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers? This is in in grammar what uh, we would call synecdoche for the healing of God's people. Uh, Now it's it's synecdoche, not schenectady, which is in New York. Synecdoche uh, is, a, is a, a word or a phrase that's used to represent something that, that's even bigger than itself. Uh, uh, it would be like saying, well, from the Capitol today we heard this. Well, the capital, meaning uh, our government did this. Uh, so something smaller that's representing, or the the White House said this, uh, representing something else. And on a more spiritual end, it would be uh, how, which we looked at earlier, the whole law is summarized in the commandment, one word, love one another. So that's synecdoche for the bigger picture. So what we have here is him saying, look, uh it's about reconciliation between fathers, sons, sons, and fathers, children to their fathers. Sometimes we can't possibly do that, but the gospel can. But what it's saying is that the, the gospel and that which is coming is even bigger than that. It's way beyond what we can imagine. We couldn't list everything that it, it will do. We can't list every impact. And so this is mentioned to represent that. So let's do some application here. First of all, back to the law. John Bunyan said The man who does not know the nature of the law cannot know the nature of sin. And he who does not know the nature of sin cannot know the nature of the Savior. You get it? That's how important the law is. That's why he took them back to that. We have to understand that, and then we see the nature of the Savior, and we see our need for the Savior. We should love the law because it leads us to Christ and because it shows us how to live a life that is pleasing to God. Now, the people in Malachi's day heard that, And they had anticipation about what was coming. And then they lived out their lives and they died and nothing had come, nothing had changed. And then another generation came and went. And then a 100 years, 200, 300, 400 years came and nothing, silence. And then... We see fulfilled in John the Baptist, the spirit of the prophets. Then we see Jesus, the son of righteousness who rose with healing in his wings, who comes and he does the work that was promised. So the Old Testament ends with a curse lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. But then John the Baptist comes, Jesus comes, he does his perfect work that means salvation for his people of all time. He uh, did what he came to do. He said it is finished, and it was finished. It was complete, and that's why we have eternal life. And so the New Testament doesn't end with a curse. It ends entirely differently than the old. Here's how the New Testament ends. Revelation 22, 20. Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. And then there's a benediction, not a curse. Not a malediction, but a benediction. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. Amen. A benediction and the promise of the second coming of Jesus. So now we are entering into Advent this next Sunday. It's a time of anticipation. It is a time that should be used as a time for preparation, for commitment, for recommitment. It is right for us to uh, celebrate the birth of Jesus and all of those amazing doctrines around that, the incarnation. It is right for us to do that. But don't forget, during Advent, that what we are doing is not only looking back, that he once came, but we are looking forward that he is coming again. And looking forward and recognizing that uh, will make all the difference in our life and in our perspective. So may this be a time of commitment to that same Savior, Jesus Christ. Surely he is coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that even as we, as we say that, come, Lord Jesus, for those who are in you, who are trusting in you alone for eternal life, it is not with a dread. Will you come today? Would you? But if you don't, will you give us your grace to make it through today and tomorrow and every day of our life? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.